What's up, guys? This is the Lapka and Tally Podcast, live here with Ryan Tally. What's up, Ryan? How we doing? Doing pretty good. How about yourself? Uh, fantastic. A little upset that the NFL season is over and that the big game wasn't uh, as exciting as we had hoped it would be. Uh, that is what we are going to talk about during this podcast. We're going to do a little bit of a Super Bowl recap, um, including some halftime show recap, maybe a little bit of commercial insight throughout there. And then we're going to talk about uh, a little bit from the NFL honors, some of the awards that were given out this Saturday before the Super Bowl and that whole event, and then a little bit of off-season news along with some other things. But... Let's start with the big game, um, which really was not that big, considering the final score was 13-3. Very boring game. Many consider it one of the most boring games in NFL history. It drew the worst overnight rating in the past 10 years for a Super Bowl. Um, you know, it was 3-3 three three for a long time going into the fourth quarter, and I was although it was 3-3 three three low scoring, I was like, okay, there is opportunity for this to be a great game that comes down to the wire, and that ended up not being the case as the Patriots kind of took over in the end. Um, so, yes, the Patriots win Super Bowl 53, 13-3. Tom Brady now passed Hall of Famer Charles Haley for the most career Super Bowl wins by a player regardless of position. He now has six. Uh, Bill Belichick is now, I believe, tied as the win- winningest uh, championship coach in NFL history with six. So uh, huge accolades for the Patriots there. Um, the Rams, on the other hand, the Rams just did not come out to play football on Sunday, and that was That's clearly evident. Uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit, some of the problems uh, as far as the Rams at the quarterback position, uh, and even with play calling, even with Sean McVay on the sidelines. So Ryan, uh, what did you see from this game and probably the most boring game we've seen in maybe our lifetime? This game, uh, I guess you can call it a defensive battle. Definitely not what we were expecting in this game. We were expecting the Rams, obviously the number one offense or number two offense behind the Chiefs, to come out and put up points. And same with the Patriots like last year. And that just really did not happen. Both offenses struggled. They could not move the ball at all, and especially the Rams. The Rams had basically no offense all game. I think they had the ball over the Patriots, uh, into the Patriots territory yeah. three times. They had no during possessions the game. in the red zone. Yeah, so definitely not what you're looking for when you're trying to win a Super Bowl. And I think it all comes down to the team rushed 18 times for 62 yards. Specifically, Todd Gurley, 10 rushes, 35 yards. Yep. Obviously, I mean, 3.5 yards carry is not terrible, but it's the fact that he's only getting 10 carries. As your best player on the team, getting 10 carries makes absolutely no sense. We saw him on the sideline for a lot of that first half and then continuing to the second half. So it was it was a tough game, especially for Jared Goff and Sean McVay because everybody's been saying Sean McVay is this offensive genius. He's the next big thing in the league. and and he's the greatest offensive mind we've ever seen. And then they come out and put put up three points yeah. in in the biggest game of his life, the biggest game since they went to the Super Bowl, what, 18 years ago with mm-hmm. Kurt Warner as a quarterback. Mm-hmm. So this was just a it was an awful showing by the Rams. And Patriots didn't really do much better, but – they ended up being the team that had more points, and that's all you need to do to win a game. Right. 
And a big credit, honestly, to the Patriots defense and Brian Flores and what they did. But look, it's not like the opportunities weren't there for the Rams. There's multiple plays you can go out throughout the game where, you know, Jared Goff should have made that play or, you know, they should have come out. Like, sure, when you see the score being 3-3 three to three in the third quarter, it's easy to say, look, it's a defensive battle. But it's also a lack of execution. And that's what we saw mainly for the first three quarters. When you punt the ball eight straight times, that's not just the Patriots scheming well on defense and the Patriots making plays. That's you not executing on offense. And, you know, like Ryan said, with the top or top two offense in the NFL, we expect you to do more than three straight punts and or eight straight punts to your, for your first eight possessions. Uh, you want to talk about that specific play. The one that stands out to me, which would have changed the game, is, uh, you know, you got the seam route with Brandon Cooks going right down the field. He's wide open. You know, the Patriots blow an assignment. No one's on him. Uh, Jared Goff just fails to recognize it. You know, he probably, like you want to talk about, Jared Goff to us is a one-read quarterback, and that's all he really is. And clearly that's evident on that play where he was looking at one guy. He fails to miss Brandon Cooks until, you know, the final second, and then he launches it up there. He throws a duck, basically, and Devin McCourty gets over there in enough time to swat it away, where even if he saw him, like, a second earlier, and if he threw the ball a tad bit faster, uh, that's an easy touchdown, and this is a totally different game. So the opportunities were there for the Rams. They just did not make the plays when they needed to. Uh, Honestly, I think Brandon Cook should have come down with one of those catches near the red zone, and he did not come down with it. I know it's a hard catch to make, but as a wide receiver in the NFL playing the Super Bowl, you got to be expected to come down with those kind of catches. And, you know... It's just shocking to me what occurred on Sunday. Everyone, I mean, everyone obviously thought this game was going to be at least, you know, 30 to 24, obviously somewhere in that range. And to see this being 3 to 3, you know, Tom Brady didn't even have the greatest game of his career. He was 25 for 35, 262 pass yards, zero touchdowns, an interception, and a 71.4 pass rating. Those are below average numbers from Tom Brady, but hey, he made the game winning drive when he needed to, and they won the Super Bowl, and that's what you got to look at. Yeah, and. Another interesting thing is Johnny Hecker, the Rams punter, had almost nearly t- doubled the amount of yards that Jared Goff had passing huh. in this game. So that's definitely not a recipe for success. Punting the ball nine times is just way too much, especially against his Patriots team. <clears throat> so it was just not a good showing for the Rams team, and they never really looked to be in a good flow from the very start of the game. <clears throat> and that continued when they failed to use Todd Gurley. They failed to really get anyone going, mostly. And that's what happens. When, like, when when you don't plan against this Patriots team and you expect them to just do what they do every other game, it's not going to work. The Patriots are always changing, always making adjustments throughout the game. So for... For the Rams to come in and think that this was going to be an easy day, just do a couple play-action passes, and we'll get down the field easily like they did for much of the season, that's just poor game planning. And it shows in the final score with only three points and losing in a terrible fashion. Right, and one of the things I want to take away about the Rams, and people are saying, you know, this is going to go down as one of the weirdest situations in history as to why Todd Gurley is on the sideline the whole game, as to why he's getting 10 carries. Um, It really is, like people are saying, like analysts are saying, it's really one of the weirdest situations we've ever seen. You have arguably the best running back in football who, yeah, he has a slight knee injury, but, you know, when you're playing in the Super Bowl, you know, the adrenaline that you have during that game, I'm I'm sure. By far, sure, the knee injury was not a factor in him being on the sideline. And to see 
the best, arguably the best running back in the league on the sideline for as much of this game when you know the formula to beat this team is to stay on the field and get first downs. It's just shocking. And yes, I know when he ran the ball a lot, it didn't work. But, you know, as a head coach in the NFL, you should probably know that even if you run the ball a few times for two yards, you keep going with it and eventually it'll work out. That's just, you know, the baseline of football and that's what happens. So, um, you know, it seemed to me also like Sean McVay, he tried to do too much maybe. You know, just stick to the basics. You're playing against the guy over the other field who's, you know, the king of not doing too much and the king of just playing smart, mindful football. So uh, I think Sean McVay failed to do that. Uh, I'm not going to pin it on Sean McVay or pin it on um, uh, Jared Goff, but the play calling obviously could have been better, um, but the players obviously could have made more plays than they did. But looking at the Patriots, the Super Bowl MVP was Julian and Edelman. Uh, Questionable in my opinion, but nonetheless, he had a great game. He looked like a star out there, um, deserving of the award. He made the clutch plays when he needed to. Uh, I, I just do question why some people are saying he is a Hall of Fame uh, wide receiver. His his stats in the regular season are, are very pedestrian. Um, you know, someone was comparing Isaac Bruce's stats versus Julian Edelman's stats and how Isaac Bruce hasn't made the Hall of Fame as a wide receiver, but Julian Edelman, they think he should. Um, but, you know, sometimes in the playoffs when you have as many rings as Edelman does and when you make plays in the playoffs, you know, that overcomes what you may have done in the regular season, whatever off-the-field issues uh, you may have had, like Edelman with his PEDs and all that. So, heck of a game from Edelman. But I honestly personally thought Super Bowl MVP should have gone to Stephen Gilmore, uh, who had an interception in this game, including pretty much the game-winning interception, along with five total tackles. Um, a few pass, uh, I believe three pass breakups as well. So heck of a game for Stephon Gilmore in a game that's 13-3 to where you hold the second uh, best offense in the NFL to three points. Seems to me like a defensive player should have won the award, but what's your take on that? Yeah, I definitely think there's a case for Stephon Gilmore winning the MVP. I mean, if he doesn't make that interception, you can't say that the Rams are going to win the game, but that definitely sealed the game for the Patriots. It seemed like that that was really the Rams' best scoring opportunity during the game and when it ends that close to the, the end zone on an interception, it, it's a demoralizing interception and that late in the game, it, it pretty much did seal the game. But one thing I want to go back to with Todd Gurley, I, I really I really don't understand what is going on because if this is a knee issue, then it's either he's too injured to even be out there or he can play. I mean, this is the biggest game of the season. You can't just only have him get 11 touches throughout the game for a minor knee injury, a minor tweak. If the doctors felt that he was good enough to play in the game, then he should be out there for 90% of the plays. He should be getting the majority of the touches. We've seen before guys play through injury, especially in the Super Bowl. Terrell Owens in 2005 against the Patriots. He plays on one leg, basically, six weeks removed from breaking his leg, and he goes out there, puts up over 100 yards receiving. So I don't know if it's a question of injury or if it's a question of Sean McVay just didn't think he was going to work out in the play calling this week. I don't know what it was. But if it's an injury, something something's wrong there because either the doctors cleared him to play or they didn't. So he shouldn't be out. He shouldn't be only getting 11 touches throughout the game. It makes no sense whatsoever. And he keeps saying that he's not injured or he's not significantly injured. 
So, and I don't think we're ever going to get a clear answer, to be honest, but it's always going to be the question from years from now, and people are going to say, what happened to Todd Gurley in the last two games of the playoffs for the Rams in 2019-19 season? So I, I think it's always going to be a mystery of what if, what if Todd Gurley actually played the whole or most of the game and got most of the touches, what would have happened? And we'll never know, but it's it's definitely something worth questioning because we saw this Rams offense throughout the season be so productive and effective using Todd Gurley. I mean, he had I think he had over seventeen. I think he had seventeen rushing touchdowns and, and a couple, definitely a couple receiving touchdowns. So he was obviously a key part of this. Rams offense all season so what changed in the past two games we'll never really know but clearly you could pin the Rams lack of offensive success on the lack of Todd Gurley if you're looking at the entire season and what they did the entire season I agree and again it's just you know there's just no explanation for it and like I said like Ryan said you look at Terrell Owens the guy who played on what was it a torn ACL or like a, he, he played, broke his leg he broke he, his leg and he caught about a hundred plus yards on a broken leg yeah and it wasn't he, the Super Bowl he was it? Have it was, won. yeah it was the Super, was Bowl. Super Bowl he could have won MVP <laughs> even though the Eagles lost yeah if they won the Super Bowl well he played yeah um and <clears throat> so for Todd Gurley not to come out and I look you're about to enter a six-month offseason you know, it's the Super Bowl. It's the last game of the season. You don't have to say, oh, well, I want him to be prepared for next game. There is no next game. You know, even if it is a slight tweak of the knee, like Ryan said, the doctors cleared you to play. And if I personally was a player in the Super Bowl, I'd be begging Sean McFad to get me the hell off the sideline and get me in the game. I'm going to win this game for my team. So, um, you know, honestly, I thought I would have seen more frustration with Todd Gurley on the sideline. I know he's like not a guy that shows a ton of emotion, but, you know, every time they showed the camera to him on the sideline, he's just kind of standing there with a with a blank face. Um, whereas I would want to see him, you know, up in McVay's ear, like, get me in the game, I'm fine. So, it, again, it's a very strange scenario, and it quite frankly could have affected the outcome of this game. Uh, and it did affect the outcome of this game and, you know, the outcome of the Los Angeles Rams season. So that's the Super Bowl. The New England Patriots capture their sixth. Uh, which ties Pittsburgh for the most Super Bowls all time. Um, to me, though, the most exciting part of this game was the NFL 100 commercial, which is celebrating uh, the 100 season in the NFL that will be next year. Um, they had a Stars past present uh, in the commercial. Everyone from Dick Buckus to Marshawn Lynch to Juju Smith-Schuster, even a gaming legend, Ninja, Tyler Blevins. Um, so it, it was a fantastic commercial. Went viral on Twitter. People were raving about it. And people like to say that was the best part of the Super Bowl. And I kind of agree with that. Yeah, I, I mean, it was it was a great commercial. Just putting all of those NFL moments and all of those NFL legends together. I mean, you had the recreation of the Immaculate Reception with Franco Harris. You had Odell with his typical one-handed catch that apparently he was the one who created one-handed catches in 2015. Nobody ever did that before <laughs> him. Um, had Peyton Manning throwing the ball again, Mike Singletary jumping on top of the fumble. Mm-hmm. I mean, all kinds of legends of the game in this commercial. So it was definitely the most exciting part, definitely the best part. I mean, with a 16-point Super Bowl, the lowest-scoring Super Bowl ever, I mean, it's not that hard to to be the, the most exciting moment because there wasn't a lot of exciting moments in the actual game. 
Right, and we got a glimpse of excitement in the halftime show, but we were all let down when the producers of the NFL showed SpongeBob and Squidward and the sweet victory whole thing. We thought it was going to happen. Uh, and then you see the SpongeBob characters put their trumpets in the air, and then you hear Sicko Mode, and you hear Travis Scott without auto-tune, which kind of all made us cover our ears a little bit because that was horrible. I personally thought the halftime show itself was okay. I thought Maroon 5 did a good job. Um, but obviously, everyone just wants to talk about the whole sweet victory thing, and obviously that did not happen. But hey, they did give them a little bit of a tribute. Um, but they kind of teased us a little bit, so it's almost like, yeah, it may have been better if they didn't even tease us. So... Yeah, should have went the whole way. Should have went the whole way. I honestly think it would have been a cool idea. I saw a video on Twitter of someone who, like, kind of put together... You, I think you, I believe you showed me it. You put together some Adam Levine moments from the Super Bowl and, like, kind of put the sweet victory music in the background and said, this is how the Super Bowl should have gone. Yeah. Uh, so I think that would have been cool. But nonetheless, boring Super Bowl. Patriots win 13-3. to But we're going to talk about a little bit of um, future outlook after the Super Bowl now. And this is something that people have been talking about Basically, over all media stations, is all right. Brady has his sixth ring now, right? Is it fair to compare him to Michael Jordan? I know there are different sports, and you know I know one is six and zero, oh, that being Michael Jordan. One is six and three. Um, you know, one has three MVPs or five MVPs. The other has three, and one is one has one Finals MVP every time he's been in the play in, in the Finals versus one has one Super Bowl MVP uh, four, three or four times. So. Is it fair to debate the two? And if you do believe it is fair to compare the two, who would you go with as, you know, I guess, quote-unquote, the greatest athlete or the greatest professional sports player of all time? I, I don't like the comparison at all because we're talking about completely different sports. We're talking about completely different structures of how you're getting to the playoffs, how the playoffs are set up, who's playing. It, I just don't like the comparison at all. And plus... Jordan versus Brady shouldn't even be the debate because if we're going to talk about comparing in between different sports, Wayne Gretzky is clear and above both of them in measures of greatness in their sport. So I I think it's a stupid comparison to even compare the two. I know everybody loves to do their comparisons and somehow make make it combined and say that Brady can be compared to Michael Jordan because they both have six rings now. It just, it, it's stupid. It doesn't make any sense to me. I don't think they should be compared. Just let them be the greatest in their sport. You don't have to compare them and have an overall greatest athlete because what does that say? Obviously, we know Michael Jordan is a better athlete than Tom Brady is. Well, I think athlete's the wrong word. You know, you want to... You, player? Player. Because athlete, I would go Bo Jackson, Deion Sanders, a million people I'd put as athlete before Tom Brady. But, but it, it's still, I, I think it's a stupid comparison because as as a quarterback, you're doing a lot more than as a shooting guard for a basketball team. Right. It's more I mean, mental obviously more you're, you're watching film in both things, but the amount of meetings that a quarterback goes through throughout the week, the amount of things that the quarterback has to know, has to recognize has to do it, it it's not a fair comparison to even compare uh, a basketball player to him I know there's elements of knowing playbooks and everything but Michael Jordan wasn't sitting there calling audibles based on a defense that he sees that's 
really disguised as another defense. Right. I mean, it, it's just a stupid comparison because we're not even talking about the same thing here. You, they're not even close to being the same thing. So it, just stop the comparisons. And you, like, like I said before, if you're going to start comparing sports, then, then the comparisons are already over because Wayne Gretzky is far and away the greatest player in his perspective sport if you include Tom Brady and Michael Jordan and whoever you want to include from baseball, Babe Ruth, Hank Aaron, Barry Bonds, whatever. But the comparisons are stupid. They shouldn't be done. And that's it. I completely agree. It's just like the media was waiting. Once Tom Brady won that, they saw it. All right, six wings from Brady, six wings from Jordan. Let's compare the two. Let's make a headline. But like Ryan said, to me, it's uncomparable. You can't do that, in my opinion. Um, but another thing we talk about future outlook is Rob Gronkowski. This has been a storyline for years. Um, you know, he's, I don't know how, I think 29? Or he's got to be a little bit older than that. Uh, he's probably around 29, 30. Let's look. Rob Gronkowski is how many years old? 29 years old. Yeah, so he's 29 years old, but this is a guy who has worked himself into the conversation of one of the best tight ends of all time. He just won his third Super Bowl ring. He's got one of the hottest girlfriends I've ever seen. Um, You know, it's easy for him to be able to say, yeah, I'm going to retire now. And there's been those questions. I mean, people say he has a future in acting. He has a future in comedy. I mean, he's not just going to disappear after he retires. He's going to be prevalent in the media in some sort of way. Um, but, you know, if he retires, it's a huge loss to this team. So what is your take on that? Do you think he retires or not? It's a tough one because after last year's Super Bowl, obviously a, a loss is definitely much different than a win, but he just didn't seem to have that love of the game anymore. He seemed like he was kind of out of it. He seemed like he... He wasn't really sure if he really wanted to go through another season of the the grueling punishment of an NFL season. But after this Super Bowl, I think someone asked him and he said, "Toll party first and then he'll think about it. But he seemed to, to find that love of the game again, even though he didn't have that great of a season. But whether he's going to retire or not, I, I would say no. But I also don't know if he's going to be on the Patriots next year either. I wouldn't be surprised if they do move on from him and trade him. I know there was talks about trading him last offseason. And I do think it's a possibility once again because he is 29 years old. He does have a history of injuries. So football is, is, is a punishing game. And one hit can completely change something. So... Do, do the Patriots move on from him now while they can still get something from him, especially with a guy who's contemplating retirement? You don't know how much longer you're going to have of him. It, it's definitely going to be interesting what happens this offseason, but I definitely could see him being traded or still being on the Patriots next year. If I had to guess, I'm going to say he's not going to retire and he will play next season. I like that. Um, you know, again, it's a hard thing to look at. He has reasons to retire, but again, he is very young. He's had the injuries, but he's still a guy, obviously, that will be one of the better times in the NFL next year if he stays. 
So that will be something to look at uh, as far as the offseason goes. And some other offseason news, the Dolphins, I think as this was expected, hired Patriots defensive coordinator Brian Flores. I believe that is something they intended to do before yeah. the Super Bowl, but once he finished the Super Bowl, they were able to make it official. Uh, quite the 24 hours for him, he won the Super Bowl, and then about 12 hours later, he declared he was declared the head coach of the Dolphins. And I think it's a good move. Um, and it, it's interesting because this Super Bowl goes to show you know, everyone wants to look for the next Sean McVay. We, I feel like we talk about that in literally every podcast because it's that relevant. But this Super Bowl goes to show sometimes, you know, it's the defensive coach. And, the de- again, the old storyline, uh, the old tale stays true. You know, defense wins championships. Um, and that was evident in this Super Bowl. And the Patriots or the Dolphins just got themselves, you know, one heck of defensive coordinator, a guy who, you know, to me was more effective than Matt Patricia was. Um, Matt Patricia let out 34 points to the Eagles in the Super Bowl, whereas, you know, 41. look, 41, sorry. Eagles had one of the best offenses in the NFL last year too. But honestly, I, I feel like this Rams offense this year might have been better. And they also, you know, didn't have Nick Foles, um, who wasn't expected to do as good as he was. And Brian Flores shut them down for three points. Um, so I think he's going to be a heck of a hire for Miami. I think he's a good leader. And look, this is a Miami or my my bad, a New England Patriots defense that we talk about every year not having a ton of talent. They never have you know three or four Pro Bowl players. They never do. But you know when you have a good defensive coordinator and when you have a coach like Bill Belichick, you know sometimes that's just as crucial as having those impact players. So I think he's a great hire for the Dolphins, and I I like what they're going to be able to do in the future there once they figure out what's going on at the quarterback situation. Yeah, and they just hired Greg Schiano as defensive coordinator. Spent the last three years at Ohio State coaching that defense, and they his first two years they were number five in the nation, number seven in the nation, I believe. And then this year, not a great year, <laughs> but great year. Schiano does have connections to Belichick. He coached his son while he was the head coach at Rutgers, and. Belichick has stated in a couple of interviews that he thinks Greg Schiano is a great defensive mind and a great uh, defensive coordinator and a great coach. So I'm not really surprised by this move. Get Schiano gets to move back into the NFL where he was a head coach for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, although that didn't really work out great for him. But it. We'll see how it goes. This is the Patriots' third defensive coordinator in three years, so a lot of change and a lot of new um, defensive concepts coming in and out. But this is the Patriots, so we can't really ever say that they make a bad move or anything because all of their bad moves seem to turn out to be good moves. So you just have to wait and see. And also... The Rams quarterback coach, Zach Taylor, just got hired by the Bengals, a move that was expected. So Brian Flores goes from winning a Super Bowl to a new team, and Zach Taylor goes from losing the Super Bowl to a new team. So definitely bittersweet for him as he gets a head coaching opportunity, but it is coming off of a terrible effort in the Super Bowl. Yeah. But... The, the Bengals the Bengals have some talent. It's just about will they produce with that talent and will Andy Dalton be something more than what he is now. We've seen flashes of Andy Dalton have good moments and then we see him go downhill. 
very quickly. So it'll be interesting to see if Zach Taylor can turn it around and get the the Bengals team to a, a potential contender in the AFC North. Yeah, it will be interesting. Uh, he's a good mind, and you know he went out and said today, I'm not going to try to be Sean McVay. So, I mean, obviously he's going to say that because he's coming from that organization and all that. He wants to be his own person, but really he is trying to be Sean McVay. Everyone's trying to be Sean McVay. So, yeah, Bengals hires Zach Taylor. Uh, we're going to move on to a little bit of other news. The, uh, the Oakland Raiders who will soon be the Las Vegas Raiders, in my opinion, uh, are expected to play in Oracle Park in 2019, which, if you are not familiar with, is the San Francisco Giants baseball stadium. That, that got uh, killed. It got killed? Yes. The, this, the, um, this news is of a day ago, so that is... It, the Well, not officially killed, but the 49ers have territory rights of San Francisco, even mm. though they play over an hour away from San Francisco. So they would have to waive those territory rights for the Raiders to play in the city of San Francisco. And reports are that they're unexpected to do so, which could... The the Raiders still could move even and play in Levi Stadium with the 49ers because that is in Santa Clara and the 49ers' rights don't apply there. They would just have to do the leasing agreement and everything like that, but it's not expected that they're going to move to San Francisco now, which means that they're going to continue looking for somewhere to play next year, and it's looking like it's not going to be Oakland. Right, and I, that just goes to show how eager they are to get out of that city. Yeah, and I, I don't know why they don't just move to San Diego. Right now, San Diego Stadium is just sitting there completely empty. Nobody's using it. You might as well just move there for a year. You, I, I know Qualcomm is an older stadium. It's not – there was a reason why the Chargers left. But that – hey, a, a stadium's a stadium, and if nobody else is willing to allow you into their stadium, then you, you got to take what you're given. And it's only for a year, I believe. So it's not that big of a deal, and I'm surprised that – San Diego really hasn't become more of an option or spoken about more of an option for the Raiders. If you talk about San Diego, I was just looking at some San Diego stadiums. It looks like the San Diego County Credit Union Stadium, commonly known as the SDCCU Stadium, uh, could be a good destination for them. Capacity to 70,000. It's a multi-purpose stadium, so it could be uh, both a baseball and a football field, but is most formally known for being uh, the Holiday Bowl is played there, as well as San Diego State University. So it will be interesting to see if the Raiders will be playing football next year and whether they will be playing on a baseball field or not. Hopefully, if you are a player of the Raiders, you are hoping that it is not a baseball field because I just, every time I look at that field, first of all, it looks horrible on TV. Second of all, I can't imagine playing football on dirt uh, rather than the artificial turf that basically half of the other teams, stadiums or teams in the NFL have. Um, so that is uh, Oakland Raiders news. We're going to move on to a little bit of other news. The class of 2019 Hall of Fame class was uh, revealed at the NFL Honors this weekend. Uh, that consists of Champ Bailey, Pat Bowling, Gil Brandt, Tony Gonzalez, Ty Law, Kevin Mawai, I believe you pronounce it, uh, Ed Reed, and Johnny Robinson. So some big names there, uh, mostly Ed Reed and Tony Gonzalez are probably the biggest names that you will recognize. Uh, so pretty cool. That is the Hall of Fame class. Um, 
for 2019 and the nfl honors were on saturday so some of the awards given out were mvp did go to patrick mahomes he also won offensive player of the year the defensive player of the year as expected was aaron donald uh rookie of the year offensively was um saquon bartley rather than baker mayfield while the defensive rookie of the year was darius leonard um coach of the year was matt Nagy. And I believe that is a comeback player here was Andrew Luck. So some cool awards to go around there. Uh, I honestly think all the awards were uh, the right decisions. Um, yeah, not not a lot of controversy. I mean, definitely the offensive player of the year could be argued either way for what Baker Mayfield did. But I mean, you uh, can't, rookie offensive rookie. Yeah, you can't you can't argue Saquon Barkley either. So I think all of them were were very good decisions nothing too controversial nothing that is gonna look bad in a couple of years when we realized that guy didn't really have such a great year <laughs> yeah and they they just basically went with the safe picks and uh i think I, I think they did a good job that's not the biggest storyline but pretty cool um some eagles news for you nick Foles informs eagles he will void his 20 million dollar option that uh that the Eagles picked up. Um, so that means now basically that Foles can either, or the Eagles can rather s- sign Foles to the franchise tag or basically just let him walk. So if you're an Eagles fan, uh, I'll ask this to you. You know, you can tag him, but you run that risk of, you know, if you don't get a deal done and you tag him, you're spending $25 million on a backup quarterback next year with a guy who probably won't want to be there next year. Or you can just let him walk and you won't get anything out of it, but you won't lose any money, really. So what is your take on that? Yeah, well, the the Eagles have until the league year starts to really decide if they want to tag him. So right now they can go as if they're planning to tag him find a a trade destination find someone to trade him to and if it does happen if they do find a partner and get a deal done they can immediately they can put the franchise tag on him and immediately trade him and all of that 25 million comes off the cap so i i would expect the eagles to definitely continue to look for a trade and i i think that they, they would like to get a trade, and I, I definitely think that there, there should be a market out there for him, but it's also a matter of do you trade for a guy when, a, the, when he might become a free agent and be free to go anywhere. It, it's going to be an interesting decision. We'll see what the Eagles do, but I, I would expect them to definitely look for a trade partner and attempt to get something for Nick Foles other than just a compensatory pick in two years yeah so interesting to see how that will unfold um other news today actually matt bryant was informed that he will be released by the atlanta falcons 43 year old kicker was 20 for 21 on field goals this year uh one of the clutchest kickers in the nfl but he was hampered with injuries and the falcons believe they have a good backup there with giorgio tuvecchio uh if i were the falcons though it's kind of a risky move i mean look giorgio tuvecchio is five for five this year um i don't believe he hit any field goals over 45 yards um, you know, as a kicker, you're expected to probably go five for five from that range. And again, he only kicked five field goals. But the year before in Oakland, he was 16 for 21, um, which is okay, but not great. So you really don't know what exactly you're going to get out of Georgia Tuvecki. You're looking at probably like, you know, a middle of the pack guy. But, um, you know, uh, I think, you know, the Bears obviously are a suitor for Matt Bryant um, because they're obviously looking for a kicker. So we'll see how that goes. He was due $4 million this year. So if the Bears pick that up, 
Uh, it's not too much money um, any for any other team that's looking for a kicker as well. Yeah, I mean, he, he is also, what, 43, 44, so the, those slight muscle injuries and nagging injuries turn into a, a bigger thing when, when you get older. So I mean, it's not surprising. They, they think that they have a good enough replacement with Giorgio Tavecchio. So we'll, we'll see. I mean, there's always a market out there for kickers. Kickers are of high demand because it seems like anymore nobody has good kickers. So I, I think someone will pick him up, at least bring him into camp, see what he can do, see if he's still healthy. And I definitely don't think this is the last we've seen of Matt Bryant because we've seen guys like Adam Vinatieri continue to kick pretty well, even upwards of 45. I think Adam Vinatieri is 47. Is he 47? I think I think Adam Vinatieri is 47. 46. 46. So, yes. So we, we've seen guys kick late into their 40s. So I, I definitely think uh, Matt Bryant will – find a new home yeah certainly so that'll be another thing to keep your eye on um that just about does it for us here at the lapkin tally podcast we'll be going over some off-season news along free agency trades uh whatever news is going to be uh released you know every week so um that's what is upcoming for the podcast uh but for now it'll be a long 200 plus days until uh opening day next year yeah so we'll, we'll we'll still find ways to make the podcast interesting for you um we may do some basketball uh, along the way but we'll try to keep it nfl as long as there is enough news and storylines to talk about which usually there is with free agency i mean even like get the nba you could talk for an hour about anthony davis and all that so there'll definitely be something uh to be able to be talked about for the rest of the week so thank you guys for listening um have a great week see you later